This week on The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. The work is based on a new understanding of how the natural world works. It turns conventional thinking on its head. It addresses one of humanity's most pressing problems, and it works for 100% of humanity and for the Earth. I'm Neil Harvey. From Africa to India and the U.S., it's Global Local, the migration of grassroots solutions on The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. Oftentimes, people know what works best for them. That story is playing out around the world today as communities roll up their sleeves to solve problems together. After all, they're the ones most affected. They've got a big stake. Innovation usually arises locally, and if conditions are right, it spreads globally. We don't use any fertilizers, no synthetic inputs, no special seeds. And we've been able to get consistently, over the last few years, three to four hundred percent increase in yield, including in some very, very dry years. We interviewed Lazarus Saruni, an anti-poaching commander, understanding his dilemma in terms of catching poachers in the field and what he has to do to try to convict them in the court and apprehend them. They're challenging child marriage. They're challenging sexual harassment. They are challenging government corruption. They are demanding water in their communities and their villages. From the grasslands and forests of Africa to the suburbs of India and the schools of San Diego, everyday heroes are lighting the way to restore people and planet. This is Global Local, the migration of grassroots solutions, with human rights advocate Malika Dutt, science educator Jay Vavra, and holistic rangeland management innovator Shannon Horst. My name is Neil Harvey. I'll be your host. Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. Sometimes grassroots solutions are literal. In this case, they're rising up with the grass. For decades, a rangeland manager toiled in a remote part of Zimbabwe testing a set of common-sense yet counterintuitive theories. Alan Savory took a whole systems view of the triple crises of biodiversity loss, desertification, and climate change. He proposed their one interlocking issue. After years of rejection in many scientific, academic, and policy circles, Savory's work at the African Center for Holistic Management won the prestigious Buckminster Fuller Challenge Prize. The prize is given each year to a breakthrough approach to solving one of humanity's worst problems. Savory's premise? Reverse the loss of grassland plant diversity and help solve all three problems at once. But how? Ask nature. Look at healthy systems and recreate them. Savory Institute CEO and founder Shannon Horst says first we have to face the magnitude of the challenge. The grasslands represent 40 to 60 percent of the Earth's surface, about 11 billion acres. It's a host to a large portion of the fresh water systems, so the water for our cities. They estimate that about 40 million plus or minor acres per year is becoming unproductive or desertifying. It's a host to much of the civil and international armed conflict and also the anticipated conflicts. All of us know that we're now anticipating water wars beyond anything that we can imagine. About 800 million to a billion of the world's poorest populations live in these regions, and it's also the largest terrestrial carbon sink available. 
Scientists estimate today that 30 to 80 percent of the soil, carbon, and productivity of these lands has been lost. In the early 90s, Horst joined Alan Savory at his nonprofit Africa Center for Holistic Management. It's a 6,500-acre rangeland south of Victoria Falls managed by Zimbabweans, with five local chiefs sitting as trustees for the work. In the 1960s, while working on the interrelated problems of rising poverty and disappearing wildlife, Savory made his breakthrough. The first paradigm-shifting idea that he came up with in his work was the idea that the grasslands of the world co-evolved with grazing animals and the pack-hunting predator and they can be restored by livestock managed to simulate that once symbiotic relationship and integrated with the wildlife. Um, and the basic science behind that is that in the seasonal rainfall environments, when you have a period of rain where the, the vegetation grows, the microbiotic activity then dries off when it becomes dry. So there is nothing to cycle that vegetation back into the ground. You can't complete the cycle of life. And that's the role that the large grazer played. They cycled the annual vegetation back into the soil. And the pack hunting predator kept them tightly bunched and on a constant move. Because they're bunched, they dung and urinate in high concentrations, and they will not eat on their own feces unless we force them to. So it was a symbiotic relationship between the animals, the plants, the soils, and that pack hunting predator. It took another 20 years to finally crack the code of declining biodiversity. He then came to the common denominator being that in every instance where we are losing biological diversity, the one common denominator is that humans are involved in managing the situation. So he said, okay, what is it about humans? And he came to this idea that the human decision-making process is by default linear. And it's really good for building widgets, for rockets or weapons or those kinds of things. But the unintended consequence of billions of linear decisions on whole processes results in the destruction of those whole processes. He really looked at the original work of Jan Smuts, who wrote a book called Holism and Evolution in 1926. And he warned the scientific community, as we all know today, but that was 1926, that we will never understand the holes by studying the parts. Alan Savory made the connection that it's all connected. This insight allowed him to create a holistic decision-making framework. When applied in precise combination with livestock management, the results seem magical. Topsoil can be restored, grasslands can become lush and diverse, and livestock carrying capacity amid increasing wildlife populations is a consistent result, bringing increased income to families at an impressive 8%. Pastures grow lush with grass. Even dry rivers, like the Dibangombe, flow again. It now is a host to ducks, otters, crocodiles, fish, and fish eagles, which again we had lost because it had dried up and was only flowing seasonally. We've also seen a big increase in the large game. And that makes sense because we have food, water, and habitat. And the animals have to be protected at night because of predators. So we corral them overnight on the crop fields. And we don't use any fertilizers, no synthetic inputs, no special seeds. 
and we've been able to get consistently over the last few years three to four hundred percent increase in yields, including in some very, very dry years. Shannon Horst has helped spread the practice of holistic rangeland management. She and a small staff at Savory Institute and a network of about 100 accredited trainers around the world have conducted workshops for thousands from Africa to Sonora, Mexico, and the Great Plains of the United States. A survey of early adopters was done some years ago by the Ohio State University. They surveyed 25 farmers and ranchers from Vermont to Montana. 21 of the 25 showed significant increase in profits, and the average was 300%. During this same period, about 600,000 farm families left the farm. Winning the Buckminster Fuller Challenge Prize propelled a global surge of interest. Grassland and rangeland managers around the world are taking a deeper look at these practical principles. True to the Buckminster Fuller Challenge parameters, holistic management is simple, practical, and elegant. It's scalable to vast landscapes. Um, I'd just like you to think again, if we could take roughly two-thirds of the Earth's surface and increase its productive capacity by 400%, and due to the rivers, like of this continent, what we've done to that little river there in, at Dibangombi, it's just mind-boggling. Um, the work is based on a deep investigation and a new understanding of how the natural world works. It turns conventional thinking on its head. It addresses one of humanity's most pressing problems, that of desertification, and it works for 100% of humanity and for the Earth. Thank you. Shannon Horst, Going Global Local. When we fight nature, we lose. When we work with nature, well, we've got a lot to learn. For thousands of years, We've depleted the resources from forests, grasslands, and oceans and precipitated the sixth age of extinctions. Scientists are calling this new time the Anthropocene era, named after humankind because we've become a literal force of nature, one that must either transform or face possible extinction ourselves. Where to turn? Educating our kids to understand how the world works as a physical system is a good place to start. In San Diego, California, Jay Vavra's high school biology students are applying cutting-edge science to address the growing bushmeat crisis in Africa. It's a high-tech service learning project, education in the field to actually solve the problem, not just study it. They've partnered with Jane Goodall's Roots and Shoots Youth Program, the San Diego Zoo, and local biotech businesses. The hunting not only is it the biggest threat to biodiversity in Africa, but there are many human health stories connected to it. Some of the worst pathogens that we know of have been introduced through the bushmeat trade, HIV, Ebola, monkeypox. Bushmeat, in other words, wild, often endangered animals, has become the primary source of protein for most rural and many urban Africans. Chimpanzees, guinea fowl, monitor lizards, and elephants are all classified as bushmeat. Hunting many of the large mammals is illegal, but it's practically impossible to enforce or prosecute. Since the bushmeat, a lot of times it's stripped down like jerky, an anti-poaching commander may find a camp with these slaughtered animals hanging on a, a drawing line, and the, the poachers can claim that they have cow or goats or some domestic species, and easily get free and go out and poach again. And so we set up a strategy. Not all animals are easy to identify as a, as a zebra, but the strategy was 
in terms of the forensics, not really who done it, but, but who was it? And, and in a sense, that helps us save some of these animals. We started with a assimilation using ostrich, turkey, and beef jerky. And um, students analyzed those. First, we had a kind of a taste test and smelling and checking it out under the microscope. And, and nobody could get it right, showing some of the, the difficulty here. But then even using this as a first run with really degraded DNA, students are able to identify each species using the DNA barcoding. And so that showed the promise for using such a strategy, either in an airport or in a, a marketplace, to identify these samples. Not who done it, but who was it? Barcoding just like in the supermarket, but used by genetic detectives to identify illegal poaching. On a field trip to Tanzania, Vavra's students learned the ways and means of the trade firsthand from officials working to halt the bushmeat trade. We interviewed Lazarus Saruni, an anti-poaching commander, understanding his story, his dilemma in terms of catching poachers in the field and what he has to do to try to uh, convict them in the court and apprehend them and stop them. Also, from different tribes, we lived with three different tribes to get their story of either subsistence hunting or their agriculture and how they may be impacted by wild animals in the region. We also partnered with a group sponsored by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service from Sudan, Uganda, Tanzania, and Kenya, the mentor fellows at uh, Mwaka College in Tanzania, where they train all the, the rangers and wildlife officials for Tanapa, the Tanzanian National Parks and kind of shared stories and figured out a way to, um, to work together in the future. Further research produced a novel solution, train anti-poaching officials in DNA identification techniques. We started off the same thing with mystery meat and had them guess with these samples. We had Trader Joe's turkey jerky and some lunch meat from the, the canteen there, and then we had some actual Cape Buffalo sample from a hunter in the region and had them guess, and guesses were all over the place, showing that these experts in the field need more technology to identify these species. And so we ran through the workshop, and um, it was, again, the really rewarding to have my students become the teachers. They instructed them, these officials, how to run through and identify these samples. And we celebrated the success, the very hard work of the students. You can hear their passion. Jay Vavra and his students are continuing their partnership with the Bush Meat Free East Africa Network. Through student-made books and a film, they're taking the story of their international educational success to classrooms around the world. Global Local. When we return, an international campaign to halt violence against women begins with a simple idea. Just ring the bell. This is Global Local, the migration of grassroots solutions. I'm Neil Harvey. You're listening to The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. Bioneers Radio is made possible in part by John Masters Organics. Feel good about looking good. Learn more at johnmasters.com. To explore more Bioneers Radio shows and conference videos for free, 
visit Bioneers.org. If there's one thing that's global local, it's stories. Stories are like seeds, and they can grow everywhere. Spreading stories can change the story. Human rights activist Malika Dutt has a story about how art, culture, and innovative media tools are amplifying the global dialogue on human rights. Malika Dutt says it will take powerful collaborations to break the cycle of violence against women. It's one of the world's biggest pandemics. A staggering one in three women will experience violence in her lifetime. Dutt's anti-violence media messages use one simple idea, ring the bell, or in Hindi, bell bajao. Bell bajao. It's a simple concept. It's a campaign that calls on men and boys to take a stand against domestic violence. It's a simple action of saying, when you see violence, when you hear violence, don't ignore it, interrupt it. And in this framing of the issue and asking people to ring the bell, we're changing a narrative. We're changing a narrative that says violence against women is a women's problem to saying violence against women is everybody's problem. It requires all of us. Every single one of us to change this narrative to one where we can understand that peace really needs to begin at home. Malika Dutt is the award-winning founder of the innovative international human rights organization Breakthrough. She brings a wealth of experience from civil society as program officer at the Ford Foundation and at the Center for Women's Global Leadership at Rutgers University. Dutt has deftly blended the power of popular culture, media, and community mobilization to transform public attitudes. So we do this work in India at two broad levels. One is through the mass media. We partner with Ogilvy and Mather to create really compelling campaigns. In a TV spot, a middle-aged man repairs his motorbike in the street. He hears a man abusing his wife in an apartment upstairs. He looks, considers, and then climbs the stairs to the door. An angry young man opens the door. The old man hesitates and then asks, Can I use your phone? Just then, the cell phone in his pocket rings. Sheepishly, he answers, looking the young man in the eyes. He turns and walks down the stairs. The young man looks puzzled, but the spell, the cycle of violence, has been interrupted. Bring domestic violence to a halt. Ring the bell. Malika Dutt. And we engage in grassroots mobilizations with young people, with community leaders, young people who may or may not be in educational institutions, community leaders from all walks of life, so that everybody becomes a stakeholder and becomes a human rights leader. Media entrepreneurs and digital diplomats like Malika Dutt are changing our collective story, because when stories change, the world changes. So these 75,000 young people that have undergone breakthroughs training in India so far have turned out to be extraordinary human rights leaders. They're challenging child marriage. They're challenging sexual harassment. They're challenging dowry. They're challenging issues faced by widows. 
They are challenging government corruption. They are demanding water in their communities and their villages. They are taking on caste-based discrimination. They are challenging the religious persecution of minorities. What we have seen is that when you open the door to talking about human rights through the issue of gender, by insisting that equality and respect begin at home, you open up the door to actually taking on social change in all these different manifestations, in all of these different ways. The award-winning campaigns of the Breakthrough Project on Violence Against Women, Racial Justice, HIV-AIDS, and Immigration Reform are reaching millions in the United States and India. So we believe that human rights belong to everybody, that dignity, equality, and justice are the birthright of every single person on this planet, and then it extends out to the entire world, to all of nature and everything around us. We believe, we believe that it is not just people who face abuse who are responsible for upholding human rights, but that it's all of our collective responsibility. We believe that culture changes culture, that if we do not transform the cultural narratives around us, that if we don't challenge those values that uphold violence, that uphold abuse, that uphold exploitation with values that promote tolerance, that promote dignity, that promote peace, that we will not be able to succeed in the ways in which we dream and desire. We also believe in results. We think it's important to always measure change. So we use very rigorous evaluation methodology. We do baselines, we do endlines, we track how many people we've reached, we look at how we've changed attitudes and behavior. And in the communities that we are working in, we've seen a 49% increase in awareness about the new Domestic Violence Act in India. We've seen a 15% increase in demand for services. And all kinds of stories are coming in of people who are ringing the bell, who are interrupting violence. Ring the bell. Get results. In social change, that's the story. In the methodology that we are using, where we are using mass media and PSAs and games and arts and culture, combined with community grassroots training and activism, we are seeing the emergence of a methodology that really can be applied in many different parts of the world. And we've been inundated with requests from people in such far-off places as Argentina, as Nigeria, as Vietnam, asking us to partner with them to take Belbajau to their countries, use these methodologies to challenge violence against women and to promote human rights. And a number of people in the US have come up to me and said, okay, when are we bringing Ring the Bell? Right here, right now. So we're going global. And what that means is that we're asking everybody to become a breakthrough ambassador, to join the community, in ringing the bell and saying, we have to stop violence against women. I often reflect on the words of Eleanor Roosevelt, who is one of my biggest sheroes, and I love to reflect back on her role in the drafting of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And she said in the 1940s, where after all do human rights begin? They begin in small places close to home in workplaces, in schools, 
in families and communities. And for breakthrough, as inspired by the words of Eleanor Roosevelt, human rights really begin with you. Thank you so much. Malika Dutt's Bell Bajau campaign in the United States and India has swelled into an international movement to stop violence against women. Jay Vavra's high school students in San Diego found one way to help halt a tragic threat to chimpanzees and elephants in Africa and beyond. In the grasslands of Zimbabwe, Shannon Horst and Alan Savory are mimicking nature's own healing practices to restore grasslands, increase prosperity for people, prevent the spread of deserts, and address climate change. As the scientist James Lovelock wrote, a geophysical system always begins with the action of a single organism. If this action happens to be locally beneficial to the environment, then it can spread until eventually a global altruism results. The reverse is also true, and any species that affects the environment unfavorably is doomed. But life goes on. What will our human story be? Global Local, the migration of grassroots solutions. Many more Bioneers radio programs and conference videos are available online for free at Bioneers.org, where you can also find out how to attend the annual Bioneers conference and local Bioneers satellite conferences near you. Bioneers voices are heard more widely with your support. Join by visiting Bioneers.org or call 1-877-BIONEER. The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature is a production of Collective Heritage Institute. Executive producer, Kenny Ausubel. Written by Catherine Stifter and Kenny Ausubel. Senior producer, Neil Harvey. Managing producer, Stephanie Welch. Production management, Aaron Leventman and Chuck Castleberry. Station relations by Creative PR. Distribution is by WFMT Radio Network. Our theme music is taken from the album Journey Between by Baca Beyond and used by permission of Hannibal Records, a Ryko disc label. Additional music was made available by Putu Mayo World Music at putumayo.com. For more music information, please visit bioneers.org. The opinions expressed in the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature radio series are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Collective Heritage Institute, the underwriters, or this radio station. My name is Neil Harvey. Thank you for listening. I invite you to join the Bioneers in inspiring a shift to live on Earth in ways that honor the web of life, each other, and future generations. This is program number 0711. This program was made possible in part by Organic Valley Family of Farms, organic and family-owned since 1988. Learn more at organicvalley.coop. Also by Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues, as well as by the generous support of listeners like you.